I guess the easy answer is it's all about student safety. You know, having the conversations and communicating, you know, just a few minutes to think about if that happened on our campus. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. For this episode of In the Know, we interviewed Kim Richmond, the director of the National Center for Campus Public Safety. The center was created by Congress and funded by the Department of Justice to be a clearinghouse of information and resources for campus safety nationwide. This episode is part of a series we curated for September, Campus Safety Month. This is part one of a two-part episode. Kim, uh, tell us a little bit about your organization, and then also, um, given the timeliness of when we're recording this, I'd be interested in um, you filling in people on how your organization is funded and what they might be able to do to support that. Sure, thank you. And first, I want to thank the the membership um, for being leaders and demonstrating that safety is important on their campuses. Um, So the National Center of for Campus Public Safety was created by Congress and funded through the Department of Justice, Bureau of Justice Assistance to be um, clearinghouse of information and resources to campus uh, safety and emergency management nationwide. And the, f- the original funding came out in 2013, um, received supplemental f- funding in 2014 and 2015, and haven't had funding since then. Um, so our funding is due to run out at the end of September 2019. So we are currently working with uh, legislators to um, secure an appropriation for continuation funding so we can continue the work that we've done and all of the projects that we've accomplished don't um, disappear. Um, So we're looking at a transition strategy um, and hopefully if the um, additional appropriations come through then we'll have another um, you know, year or two to kind of figure out, um, you know, a longevity plan and work with other campus, work with campuses um, to really uh, institutionalize the National Center so that we're not completely um, dependent on federal funding. Right. What, so you mentioned the work that you've done. Um, fill people in on what you do. Sure. So right now, uh, in everything that we do, all of our resources are at no cost to the campuses. Um, We have two online courses uh, that take about three hours uh, to complete, and there is a certificate at the end of those courses. One is on physical security, and this is a really basic physical security course that those who maybe supervise or just need a basic knowledge of um, and for your um, membership those who, um, you know, just need a basic knowledge of what do I need to know about cameras and locks and alarms and crime prevention through environmental design. It's a real big picture um, course on those things. Um, it doesn't get down into the details at all um, and uh, is just a really good overview. Um, the second course we just put out in February and it's gotten a lot of attention. We already have a thousand people registered to take the course and that's on verbal de-escalation and that was developed to meet the need uh, for folks who were saying they know that their their staff needs and their community needs training on how to verbally de-escalate a situation but they didn't have a resource to go to and many of our you know the folks that reach out to the most don't have the resources to send folks to training or to bring training to them Uh, so this is a no-cost way that you know all it takes is time Uh, but it talks about how to um, you know just de-escalate a potentially violent situation so it's good for 
anyone who might deal with difficult people on a, on a day-to-day basis on a campus. So, you know, your receptionist, your office staff, your faculty, it's everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and we encourage those, um, you know, d- just the folks on campus. Some campuses have already made it so that as part of the employment process, that's a course that they go through as part of their uh, human resources um, orientation that they go through, you know, a de-escalation. And it really, you know, it gives some practical um, examples and um, walkthroughs of of those type situations. So those are the two online courses that we have. We also conduct a monthly webinar series. Mm -hmm. So we will uh, identify subject matter experts on various topics and um, produce a monthly webinar, and then all of those webinars that we've done are archived on our website. So all of those are available over the last from over the last four years. So topics, um, you know, from threat assessment to business continuity. Um, some of them are deep dives. Most of them are general overviews on on different topics. So and those are all searchable on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, and our our website. Um, just going to there is www.nccpsafety.org and um, when you go there you will find um, not only the webinars and the online courses but there's an online library so what uh, our research associates did from the beginning was just mine information what federal resources are out there on various topics having to do with campus safety and what non-federal resources are out there there's a lot of association work that's been done uh, various publications from um, you know different experts in the field Uh, so we've combined all of those documents in one place so a person the the goal was you know if I'm a campus police chief or just somebody on campus with an interest in campus safety and I want to know what do I need to know about this topic I can go to the National Center, search that library, and from multiple sources, the information is going to come up. Mm-hmm. And then we also provi- um, provide an information at uh, service. So um, that provides an opportunity for folks to either call or, or email a question and say, I need information about this topic. Uh, what do you have? And then our research associates get right on it, find all the resources and information, and send it to them. An example of that was when um, a couple years ago, when um, you know, in law enforcement, um, you know, it was all about body-worn cameras and whether or not agencies should have body-worn cameras. So we got a lot of requests about, hey, I, you know, I need to do a presentation to my board of governors or to my trustees or to my president. Um, they want to know should we be having body-worn cameras on our folks and we don't say yes you should or no you shouldn't we say here's the information to consider um, and um, you know just provide that information for them so they don't have to do all the research themselves Um, we also produce a weekly newsletter we call it the weekly snapshot so again our research associates will pick a topic and we will drill down and, and provide just a couple paragraphs um, about that topic and provide quick links to resources that are available online. Um, so we do that weekly. Um, and then we have conducted about 30 uh, emerging issues forums uh, throughout the years on various topics. Um, and what we do in the forum is we will gather together 25 to 30 professionals on various topics, You know, either police chiefs or emergency managers. Sometimes we've included like the folks from International Student Office, uh, we've had students, uh, but we'll discuss a topic. We we did one on campus carry legislation and how that impacts policy decisions and, uh, you know, the process for, um, um, you know, changing a, a campus's policy based on the 
any new regulation or new legislation. So, you know, we include two-year, four-year, public, private, rural, urban. Um, we, w we really want a good mix of um, different, you know, because every campus is a little bit different. Uh, so, and then, you know, we we merge the, the folks that, like, for example, for Campus Carry that have been there and done that. You know, Texas has been through that. And then those who have that legislation pending and really need to know, you know, are starting to talk about what their considerations are. So at the beginning of the day, we talk about the challenges because that's kind of where everybody wants to start. Um, um, you know, these are all of our challenges. But then throughout the day, we work through what are some potential, identifying potential solutions. And then at the end of the day, we have specific recommendations. Mm -hmm. And then we produce a white paper based on that and uh, publish those um, you know, disseminate those out to our, our mailing list and also publish those on our website as well. So if a trustee uh, or president wants to get on your mailing list, they can just opt into it? Yes. The, um, on our website, there is a tab that says mailing list mm -hmm. and just provide the information and uh, you will receive the, the monthly or the weekly newsletters and in, uh, information about the webinars if you choose that option. Mm -hmm. yes. Great. So I'm looking at the uh, the list of forum topics that you've done, and you mentioned campus weapons carry. Uh, some of them are, are also very of the moment. I guess they're emerging issues, but managing protests and demonstrations on campus. I think that's an interesting one that uh, if so uh, thinking from the level of board members, um, why would they participate in these? What, what can they glean from this? Are they very, are the issue forums and the other information that you produce, is it very um, administrative walking people through steps of doing things? And um, how would you suggest that board members approach each of these issues? Sure, so I think it varies from topic to topic. Certainly there um, is valuable information for senior leaders on, on all of the topics. Most of our reports do not get down into the specific tactics, um, you know, that, um, you know, it's not police tactics, it's not this is how you, you know, do the response, it's how do you plan for, prepare for, mitigate. Um, and, and the bigger picture, um, um, you know, thoughts in, um, you know, just what do I need to know about protests and demonstration in general? Mm -hmm. I think your your membership could uh, benefit from, you know, reviewing those. And even if it's just skipping to the end and looking at what are the recommendations right. and then going back and picking out the pieces and the parts that make sense. Uh, but one of the things that, um, you know, one of the other projects that we've done over the years is we did a higher ed emergency management needs assessment. And that's the first time ever that that's happened. And so basically going to our, our practitioners on campus and say, what do you need the most? And the number one thing, and this is true in the public safety field too from our, our law enforcement officers, the thing they always say they need the most is senior leadership buy-in. And, um, you know, just, I just need them to understand what my role is and, you know, I don't need them to come do my job. I don't need them to tell me how to do my job. I just need to understand the role and, um, you know, have have the buy-in. So just an, you know, an overall big picture of what are the challenges of protest demonstrate and demonstrations and what does it take to prepare for that? You know, if we had a situation on our campus, you know, do we have policies and what do our policies look like? You know, that's where senior leaders come in is that policy development and reviewing policies to make sure that they're up to date with you know all the you know what what needs to happen you know do they does it consider all the first amendment uh considerations and you know working with legal counsel to make sure that 
and you know all those considerations have been made mm-hmm. are in place. So just uh, kind of playing the devil's advocate a little bit, um, let's say there is a board that overwhelmingly doesn't isn't buying in. Um, I think that's a little bit difficult to imagine with a lot of these issues, but let's say that that were happening. Um, what what case can you make to a community college board um, with limited resources, say, that has a whole lot of different things going on that may not want to focus on a specific issue like this, may not have time to, or whatever reason, they're, they're just not buying into the cell. Um, what, why should they? So, you know, I think um, the, 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 I guess the easy answer is it's all about student safety. And, you know, the, the folks doing the work on campus, um, and, and, you know, I, I don't think that anybody will say, no, I don't want students to be safe. Right. I think we all have different approaches that we want to take, and obviously we have, you know, we have a lot of priorities and conflicting priorities and, re, you know, limited resources. Um, so, but I, I think the challenge is to look at not how much resources does this project take or you know I can't do this because we have such limited resources what can I do mm-hmm. to move the 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 needle a little bit towards having a safer campus and there's a lot of things that that especially senior leadership can do um, to that don't cost anything and it's mostly having the conversations being the champion and developing relationships right. and uh, you know just and just even with emergency planning, it's not the plan, the product out of that that is the most beneficial. It's the process of the planning and having the conversations and thinking about the what ifs. What if that happened on our campus? And unfortunately, we are a crisis-driven society, and a lot of times the resources and attention don't go to those things until something bad happens. And that that's, you know, one of our roles is to encourage folks to think about those things ahead of time so that there is not only a better response we found that most of our campuses have a response plan uh, and work with you know the first responders and things like that they have that plan it's when we get into business continuity and recovery and resiliency that most of our campuses don't have those plans in place that's really interesting you know I, i i no, you mentioned that, you know, there's sort of the basics, you know, the type of physical things you need, push notifications, locks, designs, you know, and that's facilities and, and security working together to, to make sure kids are safe or students are safe. Actually, everyone is safe on campus. And then the verbal de-escalation is another really interesting aspect. Um, when you we get to the board policy, though, and you mentioned, you know, having a plan in place, having a policy in place. Um, yes, I think some of them have done that, but like you said, we're a crisis-driven society, and what happens afterwards? For example, this was a safety issue because it was a fire. There was a, a college that had a fire in their administration building from a lightning strike, you know, just a natural disaster. Um, everyone was safe, but, you know, there were several things that came into play. First of all, who speaks for the college, which, you know, we have recommendations for boards of trustees and, and rules about that. And, um, but the aftermath, I think, for this college in particular was really not ready to manage. So, um, you know, I think that that's a really important point that you made is not just having the policy in place, 
but then how are you going to, you know, address the results of whatever happened, whether it's a school shooting, whether it's a, a fire, whether it's, you know, some sort of natural disaster or, you know, a massive protest, you know, against somebody that's presenting that turns that escalates into a um, difficult sure. situation. And that's a good point. And, you know, a lot of the media attention goes towards, you know, obviously the school shooters or the, you know, mass um, you know, the, the major weather crisis, things like that. But what majority of campuses are going to deal with are small fires in a building that takes, you know, either portion of the building or the entire building offline, or it's, you know, the snowmageddon where <laughs> it shuts down all of the services or resources, or, you know, as, especially for those who have laboratories or something, it could be a chemical spill or, um, you know, something like that, that, um, you know, happens more often than the, than the major tragedies, think thankfully. And, uh, but that, you know, that's where, you know, you have the response and the cleanup and, you know, all of that's usually pretty, you know, that's over with pretty quickly. It's the continuity of, okay, how do we continue classes in this building? If we can't get back in the building quickly, how do we relocate those classes or can we do online? So there's, there's all kinds of contingencies. So working with, you know, the senior leadership, making sure that, um, you know, individual departments have made that contingency plan of if you can't go back to your office, if you can't get into your lab space the rest of the semester, can you continue to offer that course? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's the registrar's office that's impacted. Maybe it's the financial aid office that that's impacted. How can you keep your services? Do you have of a process in place that you can keep those services and those operations going so that people can still get paid, your students can still, you know, continue their coursework and, um, you know, if it's at a critical time like finals or graduation type time, you, you know, you those type of things just have to be in place because you don't want to try to be figuring it out as the crisis is happening. <laughs> That's, And I would imagine it's probably even difficult to imagine um, the, the aftermath part. I think, you know, to some extent, maybe some of them are very good at the, you know, having some policies in place. But, you know, when you think about the aftermath, and I know, I, I don't know if they're doing this on college campuses or not. My sister is a teacher in a K through 12 school, and they've done active shooter drills, um, which she said are terrifying. I mean, they actually have somebody come on that's playing, they role play it. And she said it's horrible. She's been through about three of them. But I think that it's, that was to me one of the really interesting points that you brought up is, you know, like in your case, you know, if it's near graduation time and there was a natural disaster, how do you manage, you know, people getting their finals done and getting their grades or if the registrar's office, you know, is there a backup for all the data and everything like that in order to be sure that um, that those things are in place in order to keep being able to do business despite working through whatever grievance or other um, grieving period that you have to go sure. through when, when some, something terrible happens. Sure, and it, it can seem overwhelming, uh, but I would just encourage, you know, you just have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just um, using the experts that you have on your campus, whether it's um, staff or maybe you have faculty 
um, you know, have, who have ex expertise in that, that area, and just walking through a hazard risk assessment with mm -hmm. your campus and saying what are, the, you know, what's the, what are the things that are the highest probability that have the most significant uh, impact, mm -hmm. and starting there. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, working with your uh, academic departments to say, and, and put it on them to say, if this happened, we have a, you know, a, a weather incident that shuts down campus for two days. What are your plans for your department and, and you know, what are your continuity plans? Uh, if your department was shut down for three, if your facility, your physical space is closed for whatever reason for three days, two days, a month, what, what opportunities are there? Um, so it's taken it in small pieces because it can seem overwhelming um, but uh, again um, you know not a lot of campuses have full-time emergency management staff um, um, it, it's just you know you gotta and, and working with local resources too you know your municipal agencies your state agencies they, they are usually more than willing to come in and help with those processes so um, you know the some of this is very personal. When you mentioned Snowmageddon, I'm not sure if you're aware, but back in 2010, when Snowmageddon hit Washington, um, we were beginning our uh, National Legislative Summit. And the first storm came through, we said the show will go on, and then the second storm came through, and that was not possible. So um, we're a much smaller operation than a college. We uh, you know, had about 15 employees at the time. And we had all we had everything we needed, but it was still um, a surprise, you know. Um, so we weren't as well prepared, possibly as we could have been. I think that uh, we did a good job in all that we needed to do, but the majority of our staff was trapped in the hotel for a week, so we didn't have access to our physical facilities. Our at the time, our insurance policy was. On, in paper. So somebody had to make it back to the office and go through and, and retrieve that. We had to communicate everything remotely. And then a month later, we uh, reconvened the meeting. So we had to do all of the work all over again, which involved reprinting everything, which was a great expense, you know. Um, so we had to make sure that the insurance policy covered that and all of that stuff. Most of those things are certainly not things I would have thought of. Um, those were taken care of within the insurance policy again. So whoever set it up did a good job, but it was a real learning experience that this was a small scale quote unquote crisis um, and it I think it it motivated us to put more thought into the what ifs and I think unfortunately it's human nature often to um, think that's not going to happen to me it happens to other people um, and so I, I just think those are lessons people um, would be wise to let sink in uh, a forest fire won't happen here, a flood won't happen here, those sorts of things. Well, you just never know with things changing. Um, I, I wanted to get into the, the overall broader context and sort of the framework of what we're talking about. Um, if we were, for example, in a session at our conference, the ACCT Leadership Congress, doing a presentation, I might ask the audience, raise your hands if you're familiar with Title IX. And I would expect a lot of hands to go up in the room, um, probably most of them. If we said, raise your hands if you're familiar with the Clary Act, 
probably not as many hands. And I admit mine wouldn't go up. I'm not all that familiar with it. But you presented on these at the Governance Leadership Institute, and they're, in fact, very important for people to be familiar with. So could you fill us in on the importance of Title IX and the Clary Act? Sure. So, um, you know, the Title IX uh, regulations and guidance right now currently are, are um, you know, under review by the admin, current administration. So, the, the you know, the regulations are there. Um, and the importance of Title IX on campuses is just making sure that I'm just going to summarize it in a nutshell. And regardless of, I, I, I kind of approach it from a, regardless of what the regulations is, are we doing the right thing for our students on campus? And it's it really boils down to taking care of people and making sure that the the, ba- the process that we have is a fair and balanced process. And you, we were assigned to uh, develop a um, sexual assault investigation and adjudication course to train the campus officials on campus doing that work, to do it in a trauma-informed manner. Um, and again, it's, it's looking at the process from a, a fair and balanced process and making sure that we take care of the human beings that are our students um, that are uh, experiencing this um, this crisis. Um, so the you know Title IX um, governs uh, sexual harassment on campus and, and the reporting and the process that happens after that. Um, and the Clery Act is more broad from a campus safety uh, perspective. Um, you may not have heard the Clery Act, but you probably um, might be aware that your campus puts out an annual uh, security report, crime and safety report. That's mandated by the Clery Act. Uh, you might be familiar with the timely warning notice requirement um, that if something is happening in your community or on your campus that could be an imminent danger to to your students or employees, then you put out a notice about that. That's the mandated by the Clery Act. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things, um, you know, crime reporting statistics, um, those emergency notifications and timely warnings, the annual report dissemination um, that are mandated by Clery Act. And it's also, you know, you have to, Um, you know have policies on these certain things and publish those policies and get it out to all prospective employees and students Um, so Clery compliance on you know the the best practice for Clery compliance is not you have one person that does everything Clery or and same same thing with title IX but especially Clery it's it's a committee uh, it's a work, working team because you have to distribute things to all employees. That means HR has to be involved. You have to distribute to all potential students. That's admissions. That's um, student affairs. You know, that's registrar, whoever. Um, and, and certainly from a campus safety perspective, working, you know, whether you have your own um, law enforcement or you're working with your local jurisdiction, making sure you're in compliance from the crime statistic perspective. So it's a, it's a team effort, um, and it has, you know, basically the leadership needs to be there to make sure that that team is there and that they're working together to make sure that, uh, that there is compliance. Certainly legal counsel, um, you know, should have... Um, you know, uh, a position there to make sure that, you know, in the legal language that, that you're covering everything. So, um, you know, from a, a senior leadership perspective, it's just asking the right questions to know, do we have these things in place? Do we have a team working on this? 
And um, I know the campus that I came from found it very beneficial from the, for the Board of Governors just to have a presentation about what the Clery Act is and what the requirements are so that they have that bird's eye view. They don't need to know the details about how we count crimes in the crime reporting section. They just need to know that it needs to happen. It needs to be published. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, from a senior leadership perspective, uh, that's huge for uh, the folks doing the work to know that, um, you know, they have the support and the attention of, of the, the senior leadership on campus. And I, I like your focus on, you know, leadership knowing this stuff. You know, as we have turnover with our trustees, you know, the, the new ones are appointed or elected. Um, we do a lot of training and development for governing or governing boards. And um, I often approach it with assumptions that people know what they're supposed to know. But even this aspect of, you know, one part of policy despite all their other roles and responsibilities. If I was a, a new trustee, I feel like maybe they might not know this. And even as new presidents come on or, or the leadership changes over, I think you're making some really important points for them to have in their, their toolbox of information that you know trustees need to know this that these policies do exist or and if they don't exist they need to exist and what they mean the title nine which of course has been in the news quite a bit lately and the clery act and you know again the trustees don't need to get into the weeds about like how you're training your your officers on campus but they need to know that there is a policy in place in order to cover things like insurance and lawsuits and whatever else that might you know, evolve out of some sort of crisis that no one was prepared for. As we wrap this up, but I wonder, um, based on what Colleen said, is that because of the um, continuous turnover of board members, so there's all, always or often somebody new to the board who has to catch up on everything, the basics of governance all the way to, you know, a lot of the specifics. So um, if you had to boil down some of these things to one page, just one page of bullets, you're a brand new trustee, here is the campus public safety concern you need to be aware of right now. Um, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a challenge, I know. <laughs> But uh, so, what might be on that? So definitely Cleary, Title IX, um, emergency planning and operations. Mm -hmm. um, and along with that, the business continuity and resiliency um, component, um, building relationships with your um, community resources. You know, the, the time to meet your fire chief is not when one of your buildings is on fire. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and a lot of the things that we talk about when we talk about preparedness or response or continuity have to do with building those relationships on campus and in the community. And I know a lot of campuses work with multiple jurisdictions and it's complicated. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that's where the work needs to happen is building the rela relationships and having the conversations ahead of time. So, and you know, that's pretty low hanging fruit when you're talking about, you know, that's not, we're not spending thousands of dollars to do that. We're, it's not a resource intensive thing. It's time and effort and, uh, you know, just getting to know people. So, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I guess a trustee primer <laughs> would include those things. Mm -hmm. And I think it, the, the point of that has to be continuous um, from a leadership perspective. Just keep in mind that your student population changes all the time too. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about what are we doing from a, a prevention effort, how are we 
um, communicating, um, you know, the skills that our students need to know and be aware of, whether it's bystander intervention, sexual assault awareness, alcohol and drug prevention, all of those things, it's all continuous. We, it's not, well, we did that last semester or we did that last year, so we're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, our students change all the time and it is an ongoing process. This has been part one of a two-part interview with Kim Richmond. Make sure to subscribe so you're notified when we post part two. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.